Like I said earlier, my name is Dawson Hunt, and I am um, the assistant pastor here at the church, and it is uh, my privilege to bring you the word. Um, last week, I think Chuck told you, but uh, on Saturday evening, uh, one of our children entered our bed. That's not an uncommon thing, so we weren't too worried <laughs> at, at their age, but in the morning, Emma was very sick. We ended up taking her to the uh, urgent care. She had a 102 fever. Um, she got COVID tested, and I'll tell you, it came back negative, so that's in the clear, um, which is okay. But Chuck did step in kind of last minute. I want to thank you, Chuck, for that last week. And um, it was really, I let him know at 1 p.m. on Saturday as he was heading to the wedding, so he didn't have much time to prepare, so thank you for that. So we are um, picking up in our uh, series entitled uh, Riptides and Redemption. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. Uh, the text is printed in your uh, bulletin for you if you have it on a physical Bible or maybe on your phone or iPad or something like that. Um, so in this series so far, we have seen that throughout Scripture, we get this, this picture painted for us that, that, that people in all of time have been in this place of what Chuck has re- really been referring to as the riptide, that we have been stuck in sin, that we have been stuck in separation, no way to find our way back to God. This has happened throughout history, from Genesis 3 forward, and yet the Lord sees this, and He intervenes, and He redeems His people back to Himself. So today we're looking at another instance of this, where we see a man that is possessed by a demon. And uh, this is a, I, when Chuck told me the text, I was like, awesome, first sermon, and you're going to give me the, the man possessed by a demon. This is a rough one. But I got into it, it's actually a really good text, and uh, happy to do it here. So we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, so... You'll open that uh, with me now. We'll read the scripture. So these are all narratives that we're going through in this series. So narratives always have to be taken as a whole, So which means it's a lot of scripture. So it's not one or two verses. This is 20 verses we're reading, verses 1 through 20. So hang on with me here. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about two thousand, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. We're at verse 14 now. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. The people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to see Jesus... They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. As he was getting into the boat, the 
the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we get to hear from your own lips, Father. Through your word, we know that you have revealed yourself to us, that we get to see a true history of what has happened when, when you sent your son in the flesh to intervene in the lives of humanity. Father, we pray as uh, we open the word this morning that you would be here with us, that you would allow uh, your spirit to open our minds and our hearts to this truth this morning. God, in Jesus' name we, we pray. Amen. So as a child, I don't really know where this started, but I was deathly scared of quicksand. And, and I don't know if it was because I, I was playing games uh, at a park sometime, and, I, and, and one of my friends said, there's quicksand at the bottom of this slide. Well, I actually thought I had this recurring thought and dream um, when I was a child that at this park that I went to all the time, at the bottom of my favorite slide, there was quicksand. <laughs> so... I actually have very vivid memories. You know, in your life, you, you remember certain dreams. This is one of those dreams I remember. I, I would have dreams that I would be playing with my friends, and I would forget that this slide had quicksand at the bottom. So I would slide down it, and I would go into the quicksand, and I could not fight my way out. And I would go down, and I would go down, you know, just how dreams work, right? It's like, it's like right up here. I wake up, and that happened over and over as a child that I did not have the power to get out of this problem myself. And even though this is a really like silly illustration, we can say that this is really our current circumstance, right? That we're so uh, in, in deep, we're so in the quicksand of sin that we cannot get out ourselves, that we cannot um, get out of the power of sin. Now this, te- this text today, it, it, it paints a picture of what what Satan really does, what sin really does to a person, right? It shows us that this man, he was ravaged by a demon, that he could not free himself. And we are all really in that same boat, that we don't have the power to save ourselves from sin. But we have all rebelled against God. You and me, as I was sitting in this text actually last week and some this week, I just was reminded just over and over again about how, how, how much I fall short and how I cannot do it on my own. And yet, even though I cannot do it on my own, there is one who can, and his name is Jesus. So the, 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 the truth that is anchoring our text today is that Christ has the power to overcome anything in the world, that Christ has the power to overcome anything in the world. And we're really going to be looking at this text in two different portions, okay? We're going to be looking at uh, the power of Satan and the power of Christ. And I want you to hear me first. Everyone look up here. This is an important thing. We need to take this text as a whole. The sermon has to be taken as a whole because we're going to be looking at first the power of Satan. Okay, so if you're on YouTube and you're just chiming in, we're going to get through the whole thing. But the passage takes us deep. It takes us dark. It takes us low into the ravaging that Satan causes in the world. The story doesn't end there. We get to redemption at the end. We just read the passage together. But to get to the redemption, we have to see the depth of sin here. 
So really, in, in this first point about talking about the power of sin, I think we all need to admit, if you're like me, we don't like talking about this. We don't like naming the force behind the evil that we see around us. We know there's brokenness. We know there's evil. We know there's sin, but we don't like to put a name to it. We don't like to say, there is somebody actively pursuing us in the opposite direction of where we want to go. This passage shows us that there is an active agent, and his name is Satan, and it is sin that is going against us. And we get to see really in this passage that, that it, is, it is not a light thing that happens. His power is not weak. He is strong. He is stronger than us. And we need someone else to fight for us. Generally, when we think about um, satanic power or demons, um, C.S. Lewis says this in Screw Tape Letters. He says, there's two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall when thinking about devils. The first one is to disbelieve their existence. We can be over here and say, I don't even believe they're there. The other side is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So we can be on this side and be so concerned and so obsessed that we're actually more focused on them than we are on Christ. So my, my goal this morning is not to be on one side or the other, but to be in the middle, to get a healthy understanding of the power that is waging war against humanity. Okay, So that, that's our goal uh, this morning. So in this narrative, we see that, that Jesus confronts this man right from the beginning, that he's been possessed by a demon. And look with me in the passage. How does the passage describe the man? In verse 2, it says, this man had an unclean spirit. Verse 3, it says, he lived among the tombs. So you know about where this man was. So he was actually in a Gentile nation, which the Jews would have considered unclean. He had an unclean spirit within him. And Jews considered that the tombs or anything relating to death was also unclean. So this man was like triple unclean, right? Like very unclean. And yet Jesus, the Jew, comes up. He approaches him. Knowing this, like he doesn't, he, this isn't catching him off guard. He knows these things, okay? Verses 3 through 4 tells us that no one could bind him with chains or shackles. No one had the strength to subdue him. So I imagine this is a pretty gruesome picture. Like he has strength that no, the strongest man that could find could not um, hold him down. In verse 5, it tells us that day and night he cried out, cutting himself with stones. That he is in such torment that he's trying to, to cut himself, cut the demons out of, out of himself. In verse 8, it tells us that, that Jesus asks him a question. He says, what is your name? You remember in this time, names held, held a lot of value. It, it was self-describing of who the person was. And the demon responds by saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, this term legion was actually a military term of the time, and it referred to uh, the largest troop unit of the Roman uh, Empire. And this was average, most scholars would say this was averaging 5,600 5, soldiers. This is what he said. My name is Legion. There's not one of us in here. There are many. And, and in the passage, we really see that this is, this is a really sad story of how sin has ravaged this man, right? That he is totally taken over by the power of Satan. And in the original language, the, 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 the language that's used to describe this man is actually more fitting. It's, it's used other places in the scriptures speaking about like wild beasts rather than humans. Like that's how saying how bad of a condition this man is in. And this really shows us how awfully cruel and, and, and tormenting the evil one is. 
So what is, what is the purpose? What is Satan's purpose in this passage? What do we see? His, pur- his purpose really is to destroy the man. That, that, that mankind was created with a special place. That we are created in God's image with a glory that, was, that is to reflect who God is. That we are to be agents of his glory. To, to show the world who God is. And, and this sin, it fractures that. The more sin enters, the more... Um, corruption comes in, the less glory God gets. And Satan loves that. So in this instance right here, he has corrupted this man to diminish the glory of God. And he'll do all he can to strip humanity of this glory they were given in God's image. And we really see in the passage, it's um, illustrated perfectly. What was Satan's ultimate goal with this man? When, When when the demons finally leave the man, what happens? In verse 13, it says, And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000. They rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The purpose was to kill him, just like it did to the pigs. We see that plain as day. The demons left immediately. He killed the pigs. That was his goal. So we get to see in this first part of the passage, we're low, right? We're low. We're going to come back up in a minute. I know this was, this was hard for me to sit in for a week, but we have to see that, that sin is not a, a small issue. That Satan is not a light power to say, oh, I got this. I got the willpower to go up against this sin or that sin. No, the power is great. And we need to really um, understand that we need a helper. We need someone to come alongside us and fight, and fight sin. So we get to see that, that really in this first point, the power of sin is great. The power of Satan is great. And, and the goal of it is to really uh, to ravage creation. Ravage God's intent of a perfect creation. Okay, so we really need to have like an honest conversation about this text, right? Because I grew up in the church, and many of you probably have heard this passage before, and it's easy for us to pass by in the West, for us to pass by a passage like this. Right? It's easy for us to read this and say, okay, he did a really cool thing. He cast these demons down and blah, blah, blah. We, we kind of just compartmentalize it up here and say, this, isn't, this is kind of what happened before, right? So it, it's a nice story, but I don't have demons living within me, so how does it apply to me? Right? That's, that's what I have said my whole life, if I'm going to be honest with you. Okay? So I would say that in our time now, when, when attacks by Satan are more subtle, when they're more culturally okay, when they're under the surface and not ravaging a person, that is when they are really dangerous because we don't even know that they're there. So we really need to check ourselves, right? We need to check ourselves, our motives, our heart against the word of God. We often will, and I've done this my whole life. I can, you're going to hear more of my story as I speak to you, but my whole life I would paint up a picture of what a Christian should look like, and I, I got to be like this over here. Or this person, this guy looks like a good Christian, so I need to be like him. But what we really need to do is we need to know what the Word of God says about how we're supposed to live and who we are in Christ and measure ourselves against that. So you can think about it. Like if you had a child that had a, a, an allergy, you found out one day, like many kids do when they're young, they have an allergy to something when they're a baby. And so you're going to do all you can to find out this allergy because it's making them really sick. At times, it could kill a person, an allergy, right? You're going to do all you can to find out this allergy because you don't want them to die. At the same time, the, in, in the same way, we need to find out the things that, are, that we don't know about ourselves that are sin because in the passage, it shows us that 
Sin ravages, it kills, it destroys the image of God that was put within us. And it, it, this, is, this is not an easy thing. I'm not telling you to do some step A, B, and C. You can do this afternoon, you're going to be clear. This is a hard thing to do. This is what the church is for, to be in community with one another so we can, we can sanctify one another, that we can measure our lives against the word of God. Because often, if, if I'm telling you honestly about myself, there are sins that my wife sees in me way more quickly than I ever see them in myself. At times, even when she tells me, I don't believe her. That tells you how selfish, prideful, and sinful I am, right? So in our culture, there are things, I'll give you a few examples. There are things that really kind of Satan has kind of crept in the back door and said, this is going to be okay in this culture. This is going to be okay in this culture. And let's get that into even the church, okay? So we can say that like even the selfishness that stems from our really individualistic culture, right, that... We say that I'll do what's best for me, no matter what it costs to anyone else. Like, we won't say that out loud as Christians. I won't, but I act that way, right? That, that's often what we do. We could say that the, the lust that, hide, that hides behind so many people's eyes and, and the, this, the wrong understanding of sexuality because we live in, a, in an over-sexualized world. We could, we could even go to the point, I mean, in recent days in the, in the election time, we get to see that it's... It's acceptable now to be disrespectful to anyone who doesn't agree with you, right? So there, it's really, our culture, and I, I've been trying to ask people how, it, that are older than me, like if, it's, if this time is more polarized than other times, and people are telling me, yes, I'm young, so, I mean, it feels really bad to me, but the, the biggest thing for me is the disrespect that is okay right now, shown from either side, right? So it is okay in our culture to say, you don't believe with me, you don't believe the same thing I believe? You're an idiot. Like, 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 like you're a terrible person. Like, like, the worst of the other person is put down because there's no, like, commonality we can... I'm not saying eat one side or the other. That, that we have really gotten into this place where we can demean another person. We can be disrespectful to one another, another person. And it's okay because they don't believe what we believe. So this passage, it warns us that Satan is at work. That, that he is in... He has power, that he, he has a weapon, and it's sin, and it's all around us. If you're like me, often I don't even know it's all around me. It's within me, it's in, within my motives, it's within what I do daily, and yet I am blind to it. And often we look uh, fondly at things, sinful things of this world, that we, um, it, it, it makes us feel justified before other people. It makes us, um, it brings us pleasure in a time, but but really, it shows us, the passage is showing us here that sin is not, we're not like heading towards a candy store over here and the Lord's saying, no, don't do that. Well, we are heading towards a store. It looks like candy to us at times, but actually a store full of poison that will kill us, right? So what, what the passage is really trying to show us is that sin destroys, it kills. I need to hear this. I need to hear that my decisions this week to, to be hard, too hard on my kids and talk not nice to my wife, that ravages me and ravages her, and I need to fight against that. That, that. that Satan is using his power to destroy humanity, to destroy creation. And I, if anything, in this portion, I want us to sit in the weight of sin and the power that is, that is waging war against us. But sin, sin can get so normal in our lives that if we're not checking ourselves, if we're not being in groups of accountability and looking to the Word of God, that we'll We'll justify it. We'll say it's okay. Good news is, this is not the end of the story, right? 
The guy was not left with the demons within him. The second thing we're looking at, power of Christ. Okay, we get to see verses 6 through 7. It says this. If you can have your scriptures open, let's read it together. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Verse 7. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Now, from the beginning, we get to see that this demon, he's acknowledging his weakness in comparison to God. And in the original language, this, this term fell down before him. This is, um, I, I kind of think that maybe this, like when I read this before, uh, he was running and he was demon-possessed. He was maybe kind of clumsy, so he kind of just fell as he was running. That's not what the passage is saying. He's actually saying that this is like saying he laid down on purpose, prostrate before him in an act of worship. At times, kissing his feet or kissing the, the hem of his robe. He was showing that he was not in power just by Jesus walking up into the scene. And, and, and he, he sees that his power is useless. He says, please, please don't torment me. Completely defensive, right? He says, don't send us out of this country. Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. What happens next? In verse 13, it says, so he gave them permission. Jesus gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out of came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000. They rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Isn't it amazing? It doesn't even take an explicit command for Jesus. He just says, I give you permission. You can leave. And Jesus simply gives them this, this permission. And, and, and the, the demons, they leave. They go to the pigs immediately. And, and the unclean spirit was expelled from this demon-possessed man solely by the word of God. We see this from the beginning of time. Genesis 1 and 2, God speaks and something happens. Action happens. In the same way here, we see that, that action happens when Jesus speaks. He just speaks and that happens. And this is really was, is a visual testimony for us and for that man that those demons had left him. They entered the pigs. They left and entered another agent. It wasn't even a contest, right? Jesus had won without effort. With a single word, the demons were sent out and the man was rescued. So, that, so through Jesus, this unclean spirit, they, they left immediately. Through Jesus, the man was rescued from his fate and his torment immediately. Through Jesus, this man was delivered from the evil one. So recently, I, you know, I have two daughters. They're five and four. I taught them how to play thumb war. Okay, so everyone knows like, one, two, three, four, I declare thumb war. You know, this is the stage of life um, we're in, just playing these, all these fun little kid games. I actually really enjoy it because I, I kind of wish I was a kid like all the time, so now I get to, you know, do these things all over again. So I'm playing with these kids, and their, their hands are so tiny, right? They're really small, and um, my big old thumb, I put it up in the air, and we play, and, you know, I, I, I let them win, and we, we, we have a fun time, and it's a cute little thing. The truth is that if I were to really go at them, right? So if I were to get my thumb up, and, and just do the whole thing while I just smash their thumb. I would win every time, right? So they, I know this, and I know that they know this. And how that I know that they know this is because when we play, now they've schemed all these ways to win, right? So they know that I, a couple times I beat them, so now they're like, oh, i got to scheme this way or this way to win, right? So we do the, I, sometimes, like, I'll have Emma's hand, and she goes, one, two, three, and automatically her thumb just, like, smashes my thumb with, with, before we've even started, okay? So that's, 
one thing that happens. Sometimes, like, Haven, I'll, I'll get her, we'll do one, two, three, four, I declare a thumb, and she gets her other hand and smashes my thumb down completely, right? Like a four and five-year-old, we laugh, and it's really funny. Okay, so, like, this is a, this is a uh, silly illustration, but it's pretty similar to our passage today, right? Like, there's no way my girls could beat me ever in a thumb war at their age right now. Their thumbs are like this big compared to mine, right? They could never win. There's no chance at all. And we see this in the passage. The Satan had no chance. He fall, fell down prostrate before Jesus, worshiping him. Not putting up a fight, worshiping him. Even if he has a scheme of his sleeve, a trick, the hand that's going to go over my thumb, it won't work at all. He begs to be cast out of the man. He says, Jesus, just don't torment us. Don't, please. I know I'm without power. So, so this pattern that we see in, in this riptides and redemption is this, right? We see interruption, intimacy, self-disclosure, invitation, impossibility, and implication. So first one, interruption. We see that Jesus enters an unclean area to an unclean man with an unclean spirit when no one else would. He interrupts his life. He goes into the, the, the dirty of the dirt, the most dirty place you can go to. He goes there, and he interrupts. He says, what's your name? He calls them out. Intimacy. He speaks with them. He asks his, his name. He, he, he sees the destruction of this man. He looks at the demon. If you think about the passage, this was probably not a very pretty sight, a demon-possessed man that was ravaged with scars and probably bleeding everywhere. He was looking at him in the eye. He was being um, intimate with him. Self-disclosure. We actually see the demons themselves actually disclose who Jesus is, right? They say, they, they, they say Jesus, son of the most high God, showing that, that, that he is deity. But this, this, this man was disclosed to Christ through the demons. We see the invitation. The Lord releases the man from the demons. I'm sorry, he releases the demons from the man and, and frees them, frees him to follow him. He frees him from the bondage he was in and, 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 and calls him to follow him. Impossibility. We've talked about this, right? That, that it was going to be impossible for him to save himself, to remove these demons from himself. And the implications. So what are the implications or the application for the text for us and for him? The first thing is I really think that we need to believe this truth, believe that, that, power, that Jesus has the power to overcome any evil, any sin, any destruction, any stronghold in your life. Jesus has the power. And the first application is believe that. We have to believe that. Then, and you, you may say to me, Dawson, you don't know my past. You don't know the, the havoc I've wreaked. You don't know the choices I've made. You don't know the ups and the downs that I've gone through, mostly downs. Or you may even say that you don't know the life that I now live, the sins that I now love, the, he, the havoc that I now wreak, the sins that I'm just so entrenched in that I can't get out of them. Christ could never free me from these things. That's what you say. But the first application is believe. Believe that Christ can free you from those things. Believe and turn to him. Because I wanted to have, the text really shows us, it paints a big picture of the, the destruction of this man. The power of Satan. We need to believe that we have an ally to fight against this. Because if you're like me, we often will try to fight sin on our own. Say, I can do this. I have the will. But no, we need to, we need to get down on our knees, plead that the Lord will strengthen us and be with us, and say, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes to fight the enemy. 
We saw in the passage, he does. Without any effort, he has it. So, so church, we, we need to, to first believe that we can find freedom in him. That we can, that following after him and being close to him is the best thing for us. Running in the opposite direction brings nothing but destruction. That Christ has the power to pull us out of this destruction. He has the power to forgive every sin. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I've gone through enough. Uh, I'm only 34, but I've gone through enough in my 34 years to know that this kind of stuff, pulling us out of sin, is not an easy process. When we're really deep in it. But he has the power to do that. Second thing is witness. Look with me at verse 18. We're called to witness to this truth that he's calling us to. He says, And he was getting into the boat... The man who had been possessed with the demons, he begged him that he might be with him. Would we not all do the same thing? Would we not all want to be with this man who freed us? 19, it said, and he did not permit him. Isn't that kind of a strange thing? That he did not permit him. This man begs him to go with him, and he doesn't permit him. We would all want to go with him. But in, in verse 19, after this, he said he had other plans for him. He says this. But he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. He tells them, he tells him, go home. Look at the people in the eye. They know who you are. They know what you've gone through. They can see the change in your life. Church, here's the big thing is that we can get up here and preach on a Sunday morning, and people will come, and we can proclaim the gospel. But you guys go into spheres that we don't go into. So when the church goes out as a whole and witnesses to this thing, to says, my life was a wreck, and now the Lord has changed me. That is when God's kingdom comes. That is when, that is when God uses his church as a whole to bring restoration to the whole world. So really, our, our first call is to believe these truths that God has the power to overcome anything. And the second thing really is to, to witness, or to, to witness to this good news that has um, come to us through Jesus. And really, remember that the big truth anchoring the text today is, is that Christ has the power to overcome anything in the world. If I can leave you with that, that's what I want you to hear. That no matter what you're going through today, no matter what you've gone through in the past, whatever you see in your future Know that Christ has the power to overcome anything. And following him is your best life. Let's pray together. Father, we need you. We come before you humbly, showing our dependence, our unworthiness, our weakness like the man in the text today, that we have no power to save ourselves, that we don't have the will, the strength, the endurance to fight against the evil one. And yet you do, God. And Father, we pray that you would change our hearts to cling to you day and night, that we would know you, that we would follow after you, that we would measure our lives up against the scriptures, that you may sanctify us, that you may grow us closer to one another and to you, that we may fight the good fight, that we may Proclaim your name across the city in each of our spheres of influence. Lord, that you would change us in only the way that you can. Because we, we know that we have an ally in you.
You are the one who is in power, in control over all. Even the demons fall prostrate, worshiping you because they know their place. Father, we pray that we would do the same, that we would come before you, worshiping you, knowing that we are weak and you are strong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.